sportsgrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com. As we continue on SportsGrid Channel 204, it's pushing the odds here. Matt Peralta with you on SportsGrid Channel 204. You can follow me on Twitter at Sports Talk Matt. The show is on Twitter at Pushing the Odds. In a couple of moments, we'll welcome in the Sports Map Radio audience. We'll go through our big four stories. We'll talk about the Vegas Golden Knights a little bit in this U Pick story. And we'll get some football here in just one second. Baseball as well, as we just talked a little bit about it with Matt Snyder from CBS. Chris Doberdeen's coming on from SBNation.com about where we are here with brackets, who's in, who's out. Michigan State's lost. How significant was that? The Duke lost to Louisville. How significant was that? What about tonight with a couple of games going for teams in the bubble? So we'll get to all that coming up with Chris Aberdeen at 40 past. But I want to spend just a couple of seconds talking about Alex Smith. And is this the end for Alex Smith? If it is, this was an incredible comeback story. This was as inspirational of a story that you could ever create. It is a movie. Alex Smith's life is a movie as to what he was able to do, what he came back from, how difficult it was, and the fact that he almost lost his life. And yet he came back to playing football, the very sport that nearly took his life after the injury to his leg, the surgery, the infection, how they had to keep on taking more and more bone and and tissue and muscle off of his leg, the Washington football team, it's now known that they are planning on departing. They're planning on releasing Alex Smith. He's 37 years old. He's carrying a cap hit of $24.4 million for 2021. And it looks like the team's going to go in a different direction. It, it, it will be hard. It would be hard to see him get signed by somebody. It would be hard to see him play, but maybe he wants to be a backup. Realistically, the only reason why he got the chance in Washington was because of the contract that he was signed to before the injury. So they had to pay him anyway. So once he said, I'm coming back, they had to give him a chance. And then he came back. He somehow got on the field. He somehow became a starting quarterback in the NFL, and he played really well. He won five of his six starts in 2020. He missed four of the team's last five games, however, including the playoff game where his injured and altered calf was not able to get going because it's really hard to play football with a leg like that. You just can't you just can't do it. And so to play an entire season, that's why Boston that's why the 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 team signed Taylor Heineke because they felt like he played well. And he could be their starter if they don't land one coming up in free agency. And a lot of people are saying that watch out for Cam Newton to go back with Ron Rivera. That's very possible. But there's so many quarterbacks available that at 37 years old and a guy whose leg is clearly not ever going to be the same, there's some concern. Alex Smith is a guy who does not have to play football anymore. He's got the money. He's got the respect. He's got the prestige. But something tells me he's going to want to keep going. And for a team that may need a veteran backup, for a team that may need somebody who could come in and play a couple of games if the starter were to get hurt, I think there's going to be a market for Alex Smith. The question is going to be, does Alex Smith want to be a backup? 
he came back because he saw an opportunity to, to win potentially the starting job, but also just to prove to himself and to everyone else that, look, I want to play again, so I'm going to go and play again. And he accomplished that. So if he wants to keep going, if he sees himself as a starting quarterback, I don't think anybody could tell Alex Smith that, no, you shouldn't, one, be able to, and two, you couldn't. He could do whatever he wants. He can do whatever he puts his mind to. And a part of me says, you did it. Why not go enjoy your family? Why not go enjoy the rest of your life? But that guy's not wired like that. That guy wants to play. And so if he's given the chance to play, I think he'll get at the very least, he will get somebody to give him an invite to training camp. That's the very least he'll get. He might wind up getting a chance to be the starter and compete for the starting job if the leg is healthy. Now, only he knows that, only his doctors know that, but if the leg is healthy, okay, (laughs) he may have a chance. I mean, the guy is incredibly accurate, and there's no debate that the Washington football team's offense performed well with Alex Smith on the field. Now, they got to the playoffs mostly because of Alex Smith and the fact that he won the vast majority of the games he played. They stumbled down the stretch, but they got in because the division was so woefully bad. I still think that if he had played in the postseason, I think he could have given Tampa a run. I, I Again, I've... T- I predicted the the Washington football team to win that game. They just didn't get any pressure on Tom Brady, so it really wouldn't have mattered too much. I just thought they'd get pressure on Brady. They got no pressure on Brady, and Brady picked him apart. But Heineke played pretty well. I mean, the offense moved the ball on Tampa, and I I mean, who knows? I mean, if if you had Alex Smith, maybe the upset happens, and maybe we don't see Tom Brady holding number seven for the Vince Lombardi trophy. So I don't know. It's all what-ifs and buts and doesn't really matter, but it is a... Incredible story that if it is over for Alex Smith, this is it. When Washington releases him, if he says, look, I did everything I wanted to do, I'm done. I mean, you might say numbers-wise, the guy's not a Hall of Famer, but that's to me why you have the Hall of Fame for stories like that. For guys who have done what he did coming out of Utah, doing what he did with the Chiefs, mentoring Patrick Mahomes, getting seriously hurt, fighting all the way back coming back, winning a bunch of games, getting his team to the playoff, playoffs, it's just, it's incredible. It's just an absolutely incredible story that I don't know if it's going to end, but if it is over for Alex Smith, if that's it, congratulations. What an incredible career. It might not be, though. The story might still be yet to be finished. We join Sports Map next. It's Pushing the Odds. More to come here on a Monday. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. That card on Saturday night was pretty sleepy here in Vegas, and it was the perfect appetizer for what will be the main course this Saturday night on pay-per-view when one of the best pay-per-view cards I have ever seen the UFC put together will happen here in Vegas at the Apex for a UFC event that will have three title fights, Dominic Cruz on the undercard, and Joseph Benavidez on the undercard. I mean, are you kidding me? You just don't get cards like this. This is why boxing 
needs to wake up and realize that they are being left behind. Canelo Alvarez fought some dude who had no business being in the ring against him on Saturday night, and it was a three-round sparring session. The towel was thrown in after the third round by his corner because the guy just was getting beaten to a pulp by Canelo, and it wasn't he wasn't even afraid. Canelo was doing things that you would do in the gym. He was flicking jabs. He was slapping the guy with the back of his glove and then coming back with an overhand right. It was crazy to watch that fight. And that just is where boxing is right now. The UFC puts together a card that is absolutely epic. It's not every weekend, and the card last week was not good. I'll give you that. But we're talking about a light heavyweight championship involving Israel Adesanya on Saturday. We're talking about a women's featherweight fight that has Amanda Nunes, the greatest of all time, and a bantamweight championship with Aljamain Sterling fighting against Peter Yan, who is a tremendous fighter in an awesome fight coming up in the bantamweight division. But that's not all. I mean, you've got Dominic Cruz, like I mentioned. You've got Joseph Benavidez, like I mentioned. I mean, this card, top to bottom, is bonkers on Saturday night for the UFC. UFC 259 and UFC 260, for that matter, later on this month. We've got two pay-per-views this month for the UFC and five title fights to be decided. It's not just March Madness for the college basketball folks, but... Mixed martial art fans are going to get a treat this month with two monster pay-per-views starting on Saturday. I I cannot wait. I don't normally block off my entire day for a pay-per-view event. I'm watching every one of these fights. I am blocking off my entire day. I'm not so sure I will bet much on that Saturday besides just UFC fights all day long for the UFC for 259. Just an unbelievable card going for UFC 259. And anytime you get a chance to watch Israel Adesanya, I'm in. And now he's fighting for the lightweight championship, moving up in weight. Let's go. And Jan Blakovich, by the way, is no pushover. That dude can smack. Uh, the heavyweight, the, the, the light heavyweight title fight is going to be a ball. And then Megan Anderson against Amanda Nunes for the, for the featherweight. Uh, yes, let's hope everybody makes weight. Let's hope COVID stays at bay. And let's get to that fight card coming up on Saturday night for the UFC. From there, we begin this hour with our four big stories. We call this the Hard Four. It's time for the Hard Four on Pushing the Odds with Matt Peralt. So number one yesterday, I made the mistake of trying to ride a trend on Sunday that did not hit. So on Saturday, Dogs went four and three in the NBA, including a plus 510 when the Cavaliers beat the Philadelphia 76ers in overtime. Well, yesterday, I came back onto that and favorites went seven and one. Ouch. Crushed me. Going into the day, it had been up 31 units. And then it did not continue. If you remember our conversations with our friend Jill Gallant from Odd Shark on how to bet this, it didn't work. It was fun for two days. It didn't work because I went real light on Saturday and went four and three and then went not heavy but more committed on Sunday and got my clock cleaned. The Lakers were one of those teams that won and covered by blowing out the Golden State Warriors. And after the game, Steph Curry talked about how teams still get up to get revenge on the Warriors. I think the biggest thing, Draymond said it a little bit at halftime. Um, we have to remember that even when we're playing well, we won three in a row, you know, teams still want to beat us and beat us bad. And they still have, you know, a lot of memories from the last five, six years. So I think a lot of that is you have to 
against the really good teams, those uh, disciplines that you that separate a good team from a great team have to show up. Number two, J.J. Watts going to the Cardinals, and the Rockets are awful. It's tough right now in Houston. We'll see what happens with Deshaun Watson. But Christian Wood being out isn't the only reason why the team has been blowing games like crazy. 11 straight losses now for the Rockets. They got killed by Memphis, 134-84. Yesterday after the game, we learned that Victor Oladipo was offered a two-year extension, and he said, no, I don't want to stay here with the Houston Rockets. Just really bad. John Wall, after the game, explained what it's like to be a part of an 11 game losing streak that's terrible i mean you lost 11 straight you never not winning no games is bad and um a lot of them losses not competing every night and some of those workers didn't make shots you can deal with those ones but the ones we're not competing that's nothing you can accept um that's my job to play better though like i said i got to continue to play better and be better for us the plays i make is what i believe in those guys to make those shots and I'm continuing to make those reads. If they're wide open, I trust them to knock it down because I see those guys put the work in. Number three, not just one bedlam, but two bedlams. Oklahoma, Oklahoma State met over the weekend, and Cade Cunningham, Cunningham, the presumptive number one pick in the upcoming NBA draft, went off in overtime to get a win over rival Oklahoma. Same two teams go after it today. Line was a pick em. It's now minus one and a half for OU on the road at Oklahoma State on the FanDuel Sportsbook. Lon Kruger, after the loss at home, gave a lot of credit to Cade Cunningham for his dominant performance in overtime. Yeah, you know, Jalen and uh, Elijah was kind of on him most of the time, and uh, I thought they both made him made him earn everything. You know, didn't give him too many easy ones. Uh, um, yeah, he just uh, he answered he answered the challenge and and uh, won won the won the overall battle for sure. And like I say, we've got to figure out how to how to try to slow him down a bit. You know, come Monday. I'm on Oklahoma via pick tonight for that one. Fourth and finally, Baylor finally lost a game. The Bears went to Fog Allen where Kansas was a dog for the first time in literally forever. There were some websites whose databases did not go back far enough to find the last time that Fog Allen and Kansas were catching points from an opponent. Baylor walked in there and lost the game outright. Baylor really hasn't looked right for the last couple of games. It finally caught up to them, but Bill Self was very happy with his team's biggest win of the season. I think it's a huge win for us. Uh, you know, it doesn't mean it's not going to get you a ring on your finger or anything like that, but it's a it's a big win. And, you know, to, to finish 12 and 6 in the league, which, you know, I, I think worst case scenario, I mean, I, I don't, I guess mathematically it could be different, but that would probably put us in a position to be, you know, third probably in the league. I don't, I don't see West Virginia losing two, but, but uh, uh, we did a good, we did, we did, we did, we did well. And, and the players have handled everything great. And we did hit the bump in the road in January. And somehow the guys, we went through that period of time where we played with no energy and we're duds. And somehow they kind of responded and got their, legs back and we've been pretty good since big 12 tournament should be pretty interesting with oklahoma oklahoma state baylor kansas a bit more competitive than maybe we thought those are our four big stories for you guys here on a monday's pushing the odds 702751 matt is the text line 702751-6288 opening line on the cardinals and jj watt I think people are sleeping on the Cardinals. I bet them with their win total over last year, they played better than people thought. And their quarterback, I don't know why people still hate on Kyler Murray. When the dude is healthy, the dude's a baller. 
And what does this mean for Russell Wilson? Does he want to stay in that division? Does it make him want to get out even more where his big thing was, I'm done getting hit? I don't want to get hit anymore. And now he's got a division full of defensive linemen that do nothing but rush the quarterback and sack the quarterback. J.J. Watt now coming over. I like this move a lot. It's expensive. It's a lot of money for a guy of his age. But you get the leadership as well as the performance for J.J. Watt, who comes in and gets reunited with DeAndre Hopkins. People are calling it the Houston Texans West for the Arizona Cardinals. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. This is Pushing the Odds, and the opening line starts now. He wants to go to a place where he can win. But first, I'm told he'll take the weekend, get away from things, and reassess his realistic options sometime next week. Look, J.J. Watt to the Cardinals shouldn't be all that shocking. Opening line for us here on Pushing the Odds on a Monday. Arizona is gorgeous. Three hours to the south of where I live. It is a gorgeous community that oftentimes players live in Arizona. They live in Phoenix. So the idea to play in Phoenix is oftentimes very welcomed. If you look at J.J. Watt playing in Houston, speaking as somebody who used to be living in a cold weather environment, the idea of going back to a cold weather environment, not that attractive. I told you before, I heard from Tom Brady, I don't, not me personally, but a friend of mine, heard it from Tom Brady's own mouth when he was looking at where he wanted to play next. He said, I was done freezing my butt. He used a different word, but I, he was done. I'm done freezing my butt off. He wanted to go somewhere warm. J.J. Watt's from Wisconsin. His brothers play in Pittsburgh. If he gets a chance to go play in Arizona and they're going to pay you $31 million, you go to Arizona. There is a big benefit to the weather, the lifestyle, just where you're going. At the end of your career, why do you want to go play at Lambeau Field? Why do you want to be freezing cold? I wouldn't want to be freezing cold. Why do you want to go to Cleveland? Why do you want to be freezing cold? Look, I'm from Boston. I understand that there is something romantic about the cold. It gets old fast, all right? There's something great about falling snow. I love snow when it falls from the sky. I can't stand it on the ground. I can't stand dirty snow that's been sitting there for days and days and days in snow banks that don't melt for months. It's awful. I can't stand having to freeze while you get in your car and you're waiting for your car to unthaw and the seat is frozen and you're shivering and it's just horrible, right? I shiver now when it's 45 degrees in Vegas, all right? That's an Arctic blast to me. And when you live in Houston for the entire career of J.J. Watt, the idea of going to a cold-weather environment probably wasn't that appealing. I don't blame him, in particular if you're given a chance to go and play with the Arizona Cardinals. You're given a chance to go play and, yes, try to contend for a championship. This is the clip that everybody's playing today from J.J. Watt. I want to play it as well because this is what J.J. Watt talked about at the end of last year with the Texans, and this is the type of guy that the Cardinals are getting, and this is why I think it's such a big deal. Look, I'm somebody who gets suckered in 
to the rah-rah. I get suckered in by Tom Brady. I get suckered in by Tim Tebow. I get suckered in by J.J. Watt. I, I get suckered in by dudes that stand up at podiums and start putting their foot down as to what the level of excellence has to be. And when you set that bar as a leader, you've got to live up to that bar. You've got to live up to what you're saying. But, you know, for the most part, you could talk about where Tebow was as a pro football player or a pro baseball player, and it never got anywhere near the level that it was in college with the Florida Gators. But Brady's the GOAT. And J.J. Watt, this is what J.J. Watt, the effort, this is the attitude, this is what the Cardinals are getting. We're professional athletes getting paid a whole lot of money. If you can't come in and put work in in the building, go out to the practice field and work hard, do your lifts and do what you're supposed to do, you should not be here. This is a job. We are getting paid a whole lot of money. There are a lot of people that watch us and invest their time and their money into buying our jerseys and buying a whole bunch of And they care about it. They care every single week. We're in week 16 and we're 4-11. And, and there's fans that watch this game, that show up to the stadium, that put in time and energy and effort and care about this so if you can't go out there and you can't work out you can't show up on time you can't practice you can't want to go out there and win you shouldn't be here it's pretty big right if you're a cardinals fan and you hear that he's bringing that level of intensity and excellence to a team that's pretty young right this cardinals team has a quarterback in kyler murray who took a big step forward last year. I think people, I don't know, it was the pandemic or what. I don't know if it was because the, they needed that, you know, the Hale Murray or what to win a game against a team that they, you know, shouldn't have beaten the Bills. But he completed 67% of his passes, threw for nearly 4,000 yards, had 26 touchdowns to 12 interceptions, and had a quarterback rating of 93.4. Like what? What does Murray have to do other than stay healthy that will cause you to understand that this guy in year three could be poised to take another big leap forward? He's got a quarterback, sorry, he's got a wide receiver in DeAndre Hopkins that they can do some big things together. And I know the division is difficult. I know know, the Rams aren't going anywhere. They got Matthew Stafford, and they think that they're going to be able to ride that defense and run the football and be effective. And I would agree, they're going to be tough. Seattle may be in a total rebuild. All right. Seattle may not work out here. They're 12 and 4 last year, but we'll see where, if Wilson's gone, Seattle's not going to be in the picture. Los Angeles, if Matthew Stafford were to get hurt, if he doesn't stay healthy, then what happens with the Rams? Are they going to be any good? San Francisco, if they were to get Deshaun Watson, which is possible, they would be very much in the conversation. But at 8-8 eight and eight for the NFC West, the Cardinals last year, there's a lot to like about this football team. There's a, light, a lot to like where they're going, and adding J.J. Watt is big. ESPN stats and, and uh, next-gen NFL stats, J.J. Watt was double-teamed 30% of his pass rushes as an edge rusher in 2020, the highest rate among qualifiers. Despite that, he still ranked eighth in pass rush win rates as an edge rusher. And now you're adding him motivated to go after a ring to a defense that needs some leadership. Okay, They need to bring in him. It's Chandler Jones on one side. You know, J.J. Watt on the other. We'll see where, how they use Chandler Jones. Is he more of a linebacker or more of a guy who plays an end position? But I I think this is 
aside from just getting a great talent, you're getting J.J. Watt the leader in that locker room, which I think is just huge and a hungry guy who wants to win a championship. And I think people who are laughing at this going, well, I thought he wanted to win a championship, so why is he going to the Cardinals? I think you're wrong to do that. I I really do. And look, there was a lot of interest in J.J. Watt. This was ESPN on how many teams were interested in acquiring J.J. Watt. J.J. Watt will have plenty of suitors. Let's start with the Pittsburgh Steelers. I'm told they're a factor just because the brothers, Derek and T.J. already in Pittsburgh, and J.J. have at least joked in the past about one day playing together, though it is uncertain that the Steelers can swing that under their salary cap books. But I talked to execs around the league who mentioned the Green Bay Packers as a great fit, the Buffalo Bills, the Baltimore Ravens, all very good defenses, all contenders. And so he goes to the Cardinals, (laughs) right? It's like he goes to the Cardinals, and people are like, come on, nah, no way. I'm serious. J.J. Watt is a elite defensive lineman still. Look at Pro Football Focus, seventh highest rated edge defender of last year. All right? That's, they're getting a really interesting player, and they get to reunite. To, you know, Watkins coming together with Hopkins, having Watson Hopkins back together and just to run it back together. I like the Cardinals last year. The injury to, 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 to Murray, I think, really impacted his ability to scramble and impacted his ability to pick up first downs. And frankly, they need to get him some help in the running back position because he can't run around. He's the best weapon they had last year rushing, but he has to be very selective when it comes to when he runs because him in the red zone, I don't think there's a better quarterback right now in the NFL with the football in his hands in the red zone. He is incredibly difficult to stop. He picks his spots well. He's able to find the end zone a lot. He had 11 rushing touchdowns last year. And a lot of them were four and five yarders because you have to account for him, and thus that causes you to commit linebackers. It leaves guys open like DeAndre Hopkins. And so you're constantly struggling to stop this receiving core. And so you have Andy Isabella and you got Christian Kirk. And it looks like, I mean, Larry Fitzgerald, as far as I've seen, it looks like he's coming back, right? So if I'm Fitzgerald, I'm fired up because you got another guy. Fitzgerald and J.J. Watt are cut from the same cloth in terms of their leadership ability, who they are as men, who they are on the field and off the field. I mean, J.J. Watt coming into this, him and Larry Fitzgerald, you would think, are going to see eye to eye on nearly everything. And you got Nuke who is the big playmaker, right? They probably could use an upgrade at tight end. Dan Arnold was okay. They probably will look to make some adjustments there to help the offense. The offensive line was okay. Probably making some adjustments with that. I mean, I think the biggest question mark for the Cardinals is the head coach. It's not the talent on the team. It's whether or not they've got a coach who did not perform with Patrick Mahomes in college, by the way, at Texas Tech, who is now the head coach of an NFL team, can this offense, can this team be led to a championship by a coach that has a lot of questions around him in Cliff Kingsbury? That's my biggest question. I have no questions about Kyler Murray. I have no questions about DeAndre Hopkins. I got no questions about J.J. Watt. They've got the weapons. They've got the talent. They can compete. And if things broke their way, they could win it all. So I disagree with people who are saying, well, I thought J.J. wanted to go to a contender. He did go to a contender. And he went to a place that's paying him a lot of money, 
and it's a great place to live on top of that. So it's a win-win-win. This, to me, is a no-brainer. And this, I think, is a monster move, and it makes this West division even more interesting and even more competitive. And you just wonder, does Russell Wilson want out? And if he wants out, it changes the entire dynamic. And it makes this Cardinals team very, very likely to win the division. 30-1, to 35-1, to Cardinals to win it all is not a bad bet. There's a lot of value in the Arizona Cardinals winning it all next season. And I don't think I'm crazy for saying that. All right, next, let's switch gears. College basketball. Let's go with some bracketology with Chris Dauberdeen, who's in, who's out as of this morning on a Monday. We'll get to it next year. Pushing the odds. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Listening to Pushing the Odds live from Las Vegas. Here's Matt Peralt. Let's talk some brackets. Chris Dobberdeen blogging the bracket.com joining us here on Pushing the Odds. Who is in? Who is out? Who's on the bubble? Chris, Matt Peralt, how are you? Not too bad, Matt. How are you? Well, that's great. It's March. Happy March. It's that time of the year. Happy it's when March. We're, all looking, we're all looking at the breakdown. It, doesn't it feel like March 2020? It's like <laughs> we're, we're owed here for what we lost last yeah. year. It's, it, it, it's good to get this thing on the docket and, and, and know that we're going to have this tournament here. So, all right. Let's start with my Drake Bulldogs. I have bet more games. I have made more money betting on the Drake Bulldogs this year than any other team in college basketball. It hasn't been as lucrative as it was early, but literally from the first game of the season, betting Drake on the money line against Kansas State all the way, they're 20, what, 20 and 5 now against the spread. But from a bracket standpoint, you have them out this morning. Can they get in as an at-large, or do they have to win the Valley, the Arch Madness tournament? Uh, I think they still have a shot. When I do my update tomorrow, they're actually going to be my last team. And even after that loss to Bradley on Saturday, I'm going to I'm going to have them jumping because you know both Michigan State and Duke losing over the weekend kind of helped them a little bit. Okay. Um, I mean, they're 22 and three. Their nets at 42, which is you know probably a little high for a mid-major bubble team. You know, they're going to have to be careful. They can't lose in the quarters. They got to get to Sunday at Arch Madness, I think. And it's very possible. I would see one of my friends had just tweeted out. He said, "Don't be surprised if Drake, you know, tries to schedule a game against you know one of those A10 bubble teams who gets knocked out if they get knocked out before the A10 semifinal or the A10 final." Because there's a big gap between the A-10 tournament semifinal and the final in about a week. There's going to be time for Drake to get a game in potentially against one of those teams. And that could potentially be a playing game. All right, hold on. Wait, wait, wait. Look, I've been covering the Missouri Valley Conference since 2004. All right? So for, yeah. for the better part of nearly 20 years, I've been covering the Valley Tournament. Yeah. Why can they do this now? Versus other years, because the gap between Selection Sunday 
and the final of Arch Madness has always been the biggest problem for the for, for, for Valley teams because they sit and they wait nearly two weeks sometimes to play because they win on the Sunday, then it's they wait a week to find out are they in or are they out, and then they play on a Thursday yeah. or Friday the following week. So is this a rule change, or could this happen in the future where Valley teams in the off week could schedule a game? They they always could. The problem is is that you have the rule on the the game cap. You can only play thirty one games. You know if you're in an, an exempt event in November or December. The thing that you have this year though, with so many postponements, you know, and so many cancellations, a lot of teams aren't going to be close to you know hitting that game cap, which this year is a little bit is a little bit lower. But there's still room for a team to actually go in there and add a game or two potentially. You know, that's why you've seen so many makeup games in conferences like the Big 12, Big 10, and SEC this week, because you have room to actually do that without going over the 31 game cap that you have in normal seasons. Interesting. So, could you essentially schedule 30 games and hold one back if you're a Valley team in the future? Yes, you could, especially now that, you know, with, with exempt events. Before this year, we're supposed to, you know, you can schedule up to four games as part of the exempt event. This year, the rule changed, so now it's only three games. So, you know, that's one game that you could potentially hold off on scheduling and schedule it for that week between, you know, the Arch Madness Final and Selection Sunday. That would probably be a good idea, but I think the only issue with that is you have to have another enough other conferences who kind of think the same way so right. that you have enough opposition to be able to do it you know, without having to schedule just kind of another random extra conference game, you know, during that time. Interesting. All right, let's talk about the ones here. Clearly, Baylor's loss to Kansas is not going to bounce them off the one yeah. seed, but where are you with Ohio State here? Can Are they in jeopardy of being a two? Yeah, I think Ohio State definitely is. I mean, at the moment, my Tuesday bracket top line is Gonzaga. Michigan, as you you know mentioned, jumping Baylor because, you know, Baylor's lost two games that are, are – you know, one and one in their last two since they've come back from their pause, but they didn't look very yeah. good in the win. Nope. You know, and I have Illinois as the fourth number one. Ooh. But, you know, Ohio State dropping three in a row. You know, there's still a lot left to play between Michigan and Illinois. Michigan and Illinois play on Tuesday. You know, Iowa and Ohio State. You know, there's still a lot between now and selection Sunday afternoon in Indianapolis you know, where those teams are going to be able to jockey. I think at this point, Michigan is there, and those other three are jockeying for, for that fourth number one seed. Chris Dobberdeen, bloggingthebracket.com, joining us here on Pushing the Odds. So if Illinois goes to the one and Ohio State drops down to the two, who gets pushed from the two line to the three line? Well, right now what happened is is that Villanova lost you know, to Butler on Sunday, so they get knocked down. So now West Virginia has jumped up. So the two line at the moment is Alabama, Iowa, Ohio State, and West Virginia. Hmm. So Villanova is the team that's kind of taken the hit. Houston's another one just because they don't have as many quality wins as the rest because the Americans have been a bit down this year. But a team to keep an eye on is Kansas. And, you know, we talk about the Blue Bloods struggling, you know, in Duke and Michigan State and Kentucky. Kansas, if they win the Big 12 tournament, is going to have a shot at being a two-seed. Oh, my. How about that? Yeah. Oh, my. Yeah. Uh, what about the Creighton Blue Jays? Where do you have them coming up tomorrow? Uh, I'm going to have Creighton as the top number four seed. But, again, 
they're going to have a game Wednesday against Villanova, and that's going to give them an opportunity to move up. The thing that Creighton has on their profile that, that's a little bit difficult to kind of point out is they have three they have three quadrant three losses, and when you kind of compare that with the other teams that are kind of in the top 16 race, that doesn't really rate all that well. So they really kind of have to get that, that win against Villanova, I think, to have a shot to get up to that three line. And, you know, if they win the big the Big East tournament, right. they can end up on that two line as well. Interesting. So they could still get a two there. Okay, so what do you make of the Mountain West Conference? In particular, what do you make of Utah State here, a team that had a lot of hype coming into the year? They haven't. I mean, their COVID shutdowns have been pretty brutal. They beat up on Nevada on back-to-back games, winning by by, 20 or 20 both, both nights against Nevada in both their games at home. Is Utah State in? I have Utah State just out right now. San Diego State after the weekend sweep of Boise State. I think that they're, you know, I think they've really set themselves up as a lock and, you know, as number one seed in the Mount West tournament probably. I think Boise State's still going to be okay because they still have that win over BYU. They have a win at Colorado State. They have the sweep of Utah State. Even with, you know, the two losses to Nevada, I think they're going to be fine. Colorado State, we kind of, you know, Forget about, you know, they've split with San Diego State, Utah State, and Boise State. So they've got, you know, you know, two quad one wins, three, you know, wins against teams in quads one and two. Their net's at 43. They're in good position. And I think Utah State's the team that really has the most work to do just because of their losses. Of the group, you know, out of that group, they have the two worst losses, losing to South Dakota State you know, in the Sanford Pentagon back in November and losing at UNLV and splitting that series back in January. So that's kind of keeping them down a little bit. They're going to have to do a little bit of work on the Mount West tournament, I think. So, Chris, Michigan State had a nice run where they took down Ohio State and Illinois, and then they go to Maryland over the weekend, and they get beat badly by Maryland. What do you make of Michigan State, and what happens if they split against Michigan in their upcoming end of the year, the home-and-home two-game set they've got coming up? If they win one of those two games against Michigan, would that secure their bid? I think so. The problem with losing that Maryland game was they lost by, you know, a pretty big margin loss by 18 points. That dropped their net. They're now barely in the net top 80. They're 77. So that's a problem for them. I think, though, if they beat Michigan, you know, that'll be, you know, three wins against teams in the net top 10. You know, they'll have one games on the road, unlike, say, Minnesota, you know, a team that has two net top five wins but hasn't won on the road all year. Uh, you know, and, and that'll lift their net up so it's not quite so low, and I think that'll end up getting them into the field before all of a sudden done. Duke is 11-9. and They've got two road games coming up against Georgia Tech and North Carolina. Do they have to make a run in the ACC championship? What do you make of Duke's chances of getting an at-large if they don't win the ACC? Well, I think if Duke can win these two road games against Georgia Tech and North Carolina, they'll be in better shape because they're going to be you know, they're going to have a win, those teams, Georgia Tech's 40, North Carolina's 41. You know, that's two more quad one wins for them, which will move their record in that group of games to 3-3. Three and three. That'll be good. That'll get their net up. Their net's right around 60 right now at 59. So they've got to boost that up a little bit. But if they don't win those games, yeah, they are going to have to probably, you know, if they lose both, they're going to be 11-11. and 11. They are going to have to win the ACC tournament to make the, to make the field. 
If they split, you know, 12 and 10, I think they still have a shot. You know, if they get to the, like the semifinal, but they're going to have to win some games in Greensboro at this point. Chris, what do you make of Arkansas out of the SEC? I, I feel like they've been quietly closing and winning big game after big game. The Alabama win obviously was really impressive. What do you make of Arkansas, and where could they wind up in the final bracket? I'm going to have Arkansas as a four seed on Tuesday, and they could end up you know, somewhere on the three line, I think, before all is said and done. Um, you know, as a Florida fan, people were complaining when Florida went off their COVID pause went to Fayetteville and lost. They rallied after being down big, took a brief lead, and ended up losing. And it's like, you know, this is it for Mike White. And I'm like, really? This is the situation. This is the straw that brings the camels back with Mike White. We are playing the hottest team in the conference. You come back, show a lot of fight, and, you know, end up losing, you know, a game after not after sitting for two weeks. You know, this is a team that the, the thing that kind of hurts them is there's not really any Buddy outside of Alabama who's really, you know, top tier in the Nets. They don't really have a whole bunch of real marquee wins. So they, they're going to rack up enough quad one, quad two wins, period. That I think that if, especially if they end up winning the SEC tournament, which I would not bet against them, you know, winning the SEC tournament at this point because I think they're the best team in the conference. You know, I think they end up on the three line, you know, when all is said and done. Chris, real quick, tonight OU, Oklahoma State. Is it significant or just for pride tonight in terms of the bracket? Oh, it's big, especially because you have Oklahoma who lost that game to Kansas State, which damaged their net rating again. And they were, you know, a team that was kind of in the top 15. Now they're in the top 30. You know, Oklahoma State's a team that is another team that has quietly kind of gone out of, you know, kind of come out of nowhere. And you think about it, they. You know, they beat Arkansas in, in Stillwater in the, in the SEC Big 12 Challenge. So, you know, that's another squad that I think has a shot that nobody's paying attention to to kind of get on that four line or that three line based on the games they have left. So there is a lot to play for in Bedlam tonight. Really fun. Chris, great talking to you. Happy March. Let's do it again soon, all right? We're only, what, two weeks away from Selection yeah. Sunday? It's crazy. It's crazy. We'll have it's a bracket in two weeks. That's amazing. <laughs> Chris, good stuff, that, my yeah. friend. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. That is Chris Dobberdine. That's Chris Dobberdine at Chris Dobberdine to follow him on Twitter from bloggingthebracket.com here. I'm pushing the odds. So there you go. So Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. I'm on Oklahoma tonight. I'm riding with the public and I got it a pick. It's now OU minus one and a half. The game went to overtime in Norman. Oklahoma's desperate for a victory. I'm actually not buying the zigzag theory on that game. I think it's more that OU is desperate. They got to find a way to stop Kate Cunningham. Easier said than done. But OU needs a win desperately tonight after losing to Kansas State. Lost two straight games. That was a bad one. Pushing the odds. Don't move. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. You're listening to Pushing the Odds. Live from Las Vegas, here's Matt Peralt. The hate for this Cardinals team is real, man. <laughs> Books in Vegas are posting that they're not changing anything. So in case you're curious about the Vegas reaction to J.J. Watt, there are some books in other markets that are saying, yeah, they are lowering the odds on the Cardinals, but not 
the books here, or at least a book here in Vegas, the Superbook here in Vegas, saying no, we're John Murray of the Superbook saying no, we aren't adjusting anything because of J.J. Watt. <laughs> so Vegas is yawning at it, saying it's not a big deal. Uh, other books are saying maybe. Uh, look, everyone is, you know, people are tweeting the Cardinals now improve from a non-playoff team to a non-playoff team. Congratulations, J.J. Watt. Again, I just think that that's not that's not really fair. I think the Cardinals are going to be decent. I, I, I do, but there are some decent things tonight. Look, the Vegas Golden Knights tonight are taking on the Minnesota Wild. It's the game of the night in the NHL. Mark Andre Fleury is first off the ice. He will start for his ninth consecutive game here tonight against the Wild. He's been good with rest. He had he got a little rest due to some COVID delays for or, or postponements for the night. So. He came back and played well on the road at Anaheim. They won the game 3-2 in overtime. William Carlson, a couple of big goals in that one. The Wild, you know, right behind the Golden Knights in the division. Fans in stands tonight here in Vegas. Small number, but fans are going to be in Vegas tonight. And I, I think that's a significant thing. I think it's a big deal for the Golden Knights tonight. I like the Golden Knights to win. I got it at minus 140 on the money line tonight. I like that. I've got Oklahoma to win on the money line tonight at minus 110. I got it as a pick. It's minus one and a half now for Oklahoma. A lot of public money coming in on OU. Not guaranteeing anything. Given the way that I've been running, by the way, I would fade both these picks. I would take Okie State and I would take the Wild <laughs> if I were you guys in terms of what I would bet on just given how ice cold I have been over the last three days. So, but that's what I'm, I, that's what I do, right? You just, you get up and you fire, okay? You know, shoot or shoot. It's what I do. So let's keep firing. Golden Knights money line, Oklahoma money line tonight for PTO picks. Let's see where we go. Up next, it's lunchtime with bookmakers with Brian Blessing here on Sports Grid. For you guys on Sports Map, we continue for two more hours. Don't move. We're pushing the odds. 